Let's get into my favorite passage. Let's go, guys, right? Not my wife's, but it's mine. Let's go. Uh, there's, that's only levity. That's a little joke because I cut out a lot of fat from this because it could have been two hours. But here we are. And I just want to talk about the cosmic romance that Paul has been speaking of the first three chapters of Ephesians. And what he's saying is that the Father chose a bride for a son, then sent his son to go win and woo that bride to himself to cherish her forever and ever. Amen. And that we're caught up in this. We're caught up in this cosmic romance of what God has done for us in Christ. And so when you look at Ephesians 1 through 3, we get to see that not only are we adopted by the Father, pulled into his family, but we're also one wooed, pursued, chased after, and grabbed by the Son, Jesus, as our good husband. Now, ladies don't typically like to be called sons, and, and guys don't typically like to be called the bride, but to, to remove those words or to obscure them is to miss the cosmic adoption, cosmic romance that we're a part of. That the Father has pulled you into his family and given you all the privileges and benefits and rights as firstborn sons. And that you have, in all of your problems, your brokenness, your unlovability, the perfect husband came after you and gave his life so that he would wash you clean and make you his forever. Like that's what's happening here in Ephesians 1 through 3. And then we got to chapter 4 where he said, okay, because of this is who you are as a church, as a people, because of Jesus, then Walk worthy of the receiving of the calling you have received. Walk worthy of the calling you have received. And then the last few weeks of just him walking through that. What is walk worthy? He said, well, walk in unity. Walk in love. Walk in godliness. Walk in light. Walk in wisdom. And then he summarizes all of that. This is who we are. Now, this is how we're to live because this is who God has made us. This, this, our identity is this, new, saved, forgiven, cleansed, children, bride. So then live like this. But then he summarizes it all here in verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of of Christ. I think best translation is out of reverence for Christ or out of respect for Christ. But submitting to one another. He's been talking about the family the whole time. He's continuing to talk about the family, how we're going to interact, how we're going to live, how we're, how we're going to operate as a people together, a local church. We're going to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. John Stott says this, he says, the Holy Spirit is a humble spirit, and those who are truly filled with him always display the meekness and gentleness of Christ. It is one of their most evident characteristics that they submit to one another. 
So I, I, I want to see this connected to the past because you've got to see that he's taking us back to being filled by the Spirit. To be filled by the Spirit by singing and giving thanks and submitting to another. I think we get on board on that first. You're like, oh, yes, we want the Spirit of God to blow into our cells, like wind into the cells of a boat and, and, and send us on this great adventure to love and serve and follow Jesus. And that looks like singing. Yes, I can be filled by by singing. I can get that. I understand that. Oh, by giving thanks. Yeah, but I, I've seen that. I, I, I feel like his presence with me. I've, I've been giving thanks and, and just telling him all of what he's done for me and being grateful to him. Uh, and what else? Yeah. Be filled by the Spirit by submitting out of submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. The Holy Spirit is leading always his people to humility and unity. The Holy Spirit is always leading us to care and community. So Let's talk about the English word submit because it puts us on our heels. But I don't feel intrepid this morning about this conversation. I can make jokes about it because I'm excited about it because where we get to with Jesus. That this is about displaying and proclaiming Jesus, the perfect groom, and his perfect, ferocious, unceasing, faithful love for his bride. And we, somehow, in marriage, get to display that, get to tell that picture, get to paint that portrait for our kids, for our family, for our church, for the world. To show off the immensity, the vastness, the width, the breadth, the height that we can't even fathom of Jesus, the perfect bride's love for his people. But this English word submit has such pejorative connotation, negative connotations, right? It's often seen as a sign of weakness or something you should resist at all costs. But that's not the vibe here. Paul uses it as a good thing. He's not saying, uh, uh, grind your teeth and submit. He, he, he's using this word as a good thing because it was widely used for the, at this time period for the proper, proper social ordering of people. Like warriors giving their allegiance to the commander. That's chronicles in the Old Testament. Like people living in a certain political jurisdiction giving their respect to their local governor. It carries with it the responsibility to live in an orderly fashion, in an orderly manner, rather than being seditious or wiling out or rebellious. Wise soldiers surrender control. They let loose of their selfish agendas and live in submission and for the good of others. And so it is with the Christian. Ray Ortland says a mentality of submission is to sweeten the entire Christian community. The glorious presence of Christ among us flavors all true Christian relationships with a voluntary spirit of servanthood. 
that this community is like a fresh glass of sweet tea on a hot summer, but the sweetness is not sugar, it's submission. That's what sweetens this community. That's what sweetens our relationship. And so we're talking about mutual submission to one another rather than being self-assertive and demanding. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves, Philippians 2, 3 says. Because the gospel of freedom never creates arrogance uh, or a culture of like self-assertion. No, it does the opposite. The gospel of freedom always leads to through love serve one another. That's what it does. It doesn't walk in swaggering like... Uh, Connor McGregor, there we go, I knew it's going to come to me, or I was just going to look at Joel, give me it. I'm just going to keep doing this while I, I don't walk into swagger saying, hey, I demand you to serve me. No, humbly, because of Jesus, I walk into a room looking for others to serve, not, hey, look at me. I'm like, oh, I want to look to you. I want to help you. Oh, there you are. That's mutual submission, this care, this love looking to the needs and concerns of others, deferring to one another. What this is, is a community, as a whole people together, we have a joint readiness to submit, to adjust, to adapt, to fit in, to help make it work, to find the win-win outcome, even at a personal cost, even if it stings us, even if it, it stings our resources, our money, our time, our emotional capacity. At cost, I'm going to do this. Even Christian leaders humbly serve others. One author states, there's a sense in which even those in authority submit to their subordinates. For example, Paul said that he was a slave to everyone to win some, that he volunteered himself uh, to put himself and to live with the people and to know a culture and to be in that culture, to love and serve. He humbled himself to serve. Husbands, we're going to talk about this next week, but husbands serve their wives humbly and tenderly and are even called to die for their brides, to give their life. Spirit-filled leadership involves humility as demonstrated by the greatest leader of all time, Jesus. John Calvin puts it this way. He says, God has so bound us to each other, so connected, so intertwined us, hemmed us so together that no man ought to avoid subjection. And where love reigns, there is mutual servitude. I do not accept even kings and governors, for they rule that they may serve. Therefore, it is very right that he should exhort all to be subject to each other. Why? Why? Because Jesus is the greatest leader. Out of reverence for Christ. This isn't a negative connotation of, uh, of, of worried about him disciplining you. This is a positive pull to say, hey, Look at the example of Christ. Look how he submitted his life and death for you. That's how your groom has loved you. Look at it. 
Earlier in Ephesians 4, he said, walk, uh, uh, walk in love as Christ loved you and gave himself for you. What he's saying here is essentially it's the same. He's saying, submit to one another because Jesus has submitted his life and submitted to death, to the glory of the Father and for our good. Out of reverence, out of joy, out of respect, out of worship. And then a wife in particular is called to live out this Christian mentality of submission to her husband as to no other. So it goes on. Wives, verse 22, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Jesus is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. So this, again, is not something new. We're continuing, right? Continuing, right? This is an attitude of readiness to yield to and support her husband's worthy headship. Something, the opposite of this, or the polar opposite command would be something like, wives, be unsatisfiably demanding. Wives, have a fault-finding resistance. Wives have a tiresome fretfulness. Whereas Proverbs puts it, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. I didn't get married because I like dripping water torture. I didn't get married because I wanted someone in close proximity to me at all times that I could fight with. That's not why I got married. I married my best friend to do life together, to weep together, to rejoice together, to help one another run this long marathon towards Jesus together until we die. And so he's getting at us what happens in our relationship. My, my wife doesn't beat me down at night and on the weekends making my life and my work more difficult, but she helps and supports me. Ray Ortland again, puts it this way, but a wise Christian wife with a gentle and quiet spirit refreshes her husband's spirit to face the challenge of life again the next day with new determination and confidence. And then I really want you to see this. This delicate relational pattern of head with helper, the head taking responsibility and providing initiative, the helper supporting, encouraging, comforting, this is too beautiful to be regimented. There is no one-size-fits-all way to follow through. That head means you take responsibility, glad responsibility for your family. Head, as we'll see next week, and we'll say it probably a few more times this morning, does not mean in any sense, form, or fashion, domineering, lording it over, subjugating, or abusing. Head means you're the head like Christ is in the head. And what has Christ done for his bride? He's loved her, led her, and cherished her. That's what it is. But then you see the wife, the helper, responding, supporting, encouraging, coming alongside and saying, yes, we're going to do this together. We're going to grow together. We're going to work together. 
Now this teaching has been abused. So I want to speak carefully, thoughtfully, hopefully in a helping manner. But like with spiritual gifts and so many other things, the proper response to abuse of teaching, abuse of gifts, is not the disuse of those things, but the proper use of those things. Meaning that this has been abused, but our response shouldn't be cut out Ephesians 5 and throw it out and just keep the others. It means we need to see what's the actual point, what's the goal. Because here is beauty <laughs> and dignity and joy, not dehumanizing and subjugation. So I'm going to throw this out, but know that God created us to live in tune with his harmony, the harmony that he created the world, that we're supposed to live in, live in tune with that, to, to live within his wise boundaries is flourishing. That's flourishing. I mean, think about bowling. If you, if you go bowling and you're rolling down the middle uh, and you, maybe you don't have your kids with you, so, you know, the guards are down. You're not cheating, right? Uh, but if you have the guards down, you can hit the gutters. You got to stay within the gutters, right? But if you're a, maybe a young man like me at one point, just had uh, dreams of doing things and then acted on those immediately. And my dream was to try to get a strike on the lane next to me. You know, jump the curb on this one and get into the other lane and maybe hit a strike. That would be amazing. But if you keep doing that, do you know what happens? No points. Like you're going to lose the game because you're not playing by the simple rules of going down the middle. And what I'm saying is in the, in the life, in the game of life, you lose the game. You destroy your life if you keep living outside of throwing bowling balls outside of the wise boundaries that God has created so that you would flourish. So. To speak carefully, but let me talk about some misconceptions about submission. Let's talk about what it really is. Misconceptions. Number one, submission is not grounded in any supposed superiority of the husband or inferiority of the wife. The concept, the term of wife being helper has no connotations, denotes nothing of the sense of inferior. It is actually one of the words that God uses the most of the Holy Spirit and of himself in the Old Testament. He's our helper. He's our shield. He's the one that's going to come along and help us continue on his mission wherever he's leading us. So this is not inferiority at all or superiority in us at all. We are created equal, husbands and wife created equal in dignity, worth, and value. So this is no, this gender is better than this gender. It's really only demonic to pit genders against another. But no, we're created equal, but our roles are going to complement one another. They're going to work together so that we can flourish together. Not so that I can flourish using this person. Do you hear me? That's completely different. I am using this person as an extension of myself to make me better. That's not it. 
Number two, submission does not mean a wife is obligated to follow should her husband lead her into sin. The same thing that you see uh, Peter say to the people in Acts 5, where if the government persecutes us, if the government throws us in prison, we should obey God rather than the government. We're going to keep telling people about Jesus. I'm going to obey God rather than the government. It's the same thing in marriage. If it comes down to that moment, wives, where it is a choice to obey God or your husband, then choose the Lord who loves you. Number three, submission does not mean the wife must sacrifice her freedom. I mean, submission does not mean that everything a wife does must be directly dependent upon or connected to her husband. It does mean that she should not do anything that would be harmful to her husband or cause her to neglect her family. Number four, submission does not entail passivity. Think about Proverbs 31. Think about the emphasis on the wife's initiative and creativity and tireless industry. So this does not mean passivity. It's not, oh, okay, I'll just sit here and you, you lead, a.k.a. you do everything. Now, and sometimes it's been taught to keep, you, keep wives passive. And we're saying, no, that, that's not the goal. But we're also aware that we can use things like this to justify our laziness, right? That we can be passive and not doing things to just say, hey, oh, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm submitting. no. I'm submitting. I'm really being lazy under the guise of submitting. Number five, submission does not entail silence. Many, many, many mistakenly think that a wife is unsubmissive if she ever criticizes or makes requests or teaches. Submission does not entail silence. Constructive criticism, constructive criticism that is helpful and loving to serve and build up is a gift. It's a gift. I think about this, wives, you know your husband probably more and better than anyone else in the world. And so in that, uh, uh, that sense of the real darkness in their hearts and the real sin in their hearts, you might be the one that knows most of it. Who better to confront them than you? What I'm saying is it doesn't mean that you don't confront and help and do all the things that, that we are to do to one another and help one another. It does mean just I'm going to have a readiness to yield and to support my husband's leadership with God's. That's how God has wired this. That's how God has worked this. And number six, submission does not mean a wife must agree with everything her husband says. Just to be clear. Now, let's talk about the good, the beauty, the joy of this. What does it actually mean? What's the point of this? Well, submission is the disposition to honor and affirm a husband's authority. That's what it is. What I say? I said readiness to yield earlier. It's the decision to honor and affirm. John Piper says it like this. He says, Submission is an attitude that says, I delight for you to take the initiative in our family. I'm glad when you take responsibility for things and lead with love. I don't flourish when you're passive and I have to make sure the family works. Let's pause there. I thought about this in Lido this morning. 
I think the two things a few weeks ago and then this are probably the two most relevant problems for us. Sexual morality has ruined more marriages in our church in five years than anything else. A close second, I think, or a close, a second would be the passivity of a man that says, I don't really care enough about you to take responsibility and lead us to Jesus. But back to the wives. But the attitude of Christian submission also says, it grieves me when you venture into sinful acts and want to take me with you. You know I can't do that. I have no desire to resist you. On the contrary, I flourish most when I can respond creatively and joyfully to your lead, but I can't fall you into sin. As much as I love to honor your leadership in our marriage, Christ is my king. Two, submission is the inclination to yield to a husband's leadership. Now, if you think about the New Testament, you think about the Old. In the New Testament, there's no clear, specific guidelines and tasks and duties that husbands are assigned that are related to submitting to your husband. Meaning, ideally, husbands and wives should work together assisting one another as they jointly develop a strategy for making the home a place where Christ is honored. Meaning, ultimately, it makes little theological difference who washes the dishes, irons the clothes, pays the bills, mows the yard, does the plumbing. It makes little theological difference there because it's no one size fits all. This is not a military marching orders. This is a dance. Do you hear me? And so the things that I can say about our relationship, specifically about me and Kaylin, and I would share with you uh, at at worst would be legalistic because I would impose it on you. At best, uh, it gives you a few ideas to work on. But to replicate it isn't probably going to work because we're different than you. And we're wired different than you. And we relate to each other probably different than you and your husband. And we have different gifts and backgrounds, experiences, and things we agreed upon 17 years ago before marriage that we still do. Of like, who does dishes and do laundry? And we're still in that rhythm. And, and we talk about it and it still works for us. So I'm not going to get into that. What I'm getting into is you husbands are to lead sacrificially and cherish your wives and wives. You are to respect your husband as to the Lord. And you figure out those specifics and notches and little things about how we're going to share the load, how we're going to work this out, how we're going to do this together, together. <laughs> you do that together. And you get to talk about it, figure out what does this dance look like for us? right? Some of you are waltzing, right? I see you, herbs. Others of us, others of us got a different dance, and that's fine, but you got to figure it out. But it comes down to this attitude. This attitude, this mentality of submission. Number three, submission is fundamentally an attitude, an act of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he means when he says, as to the Lord. That when you live in this way, wives, 
you are ultimately doing this to the Lord, and it's an act of worship to him that he receives and prizes. I say that because 1 Peter 3 says uh, that a, a wife, a quiet and gentle wife, is uh, precious, very precious in God's sight. What I'm getting at is, wives, if your husband misses you, if he doesn't see what you're doing, if he doesn't appreciate you, if he doesn't acknowledge what you're bringing to the table, Jesus does. He sees it all. He sees everything. He fully knows what you're doing, why you're doing it, and he receives it and prizes it. It's very precious. You are very precious in his sight. Why? Because the truth is, Jesus is your true and better husband. That he is the one that fully knows you and fully loves you. Without any deceit, without any coercion, without any manipulation, without any self-interest that then uses you to help him, there's nothing in Jesus towards you. And so there's just joyful worship here for us. That he knows us and loves us and cares for us and cherishes us. And lastly, submission is a commitment to support one's husband in such a way that he may reach his full potential as a man of God. Now, I told you I'm not going to get into some very specific task duties, but I want you to think about what this could be. This could be making the home a safe place, free from the sinful influence of the world. Or look at Proverbs 31, striving to be dependable and trustworthy providing affirmation and encouragement. That's what it would look like. Now, I know the jokes about the male ego and how you have to like work around it and kind of puff these guys up so they don't collapse on themselves. But let me just be very honest. Most of the guys here are still scared boys, still riddled, lousy with insecurities, <laughs> overwhelmed what people think about us, what's going on with us, what's our status in this world. And, and I say that to say, I just don't know any husband too encouraged, too built up. Now, can they twist things and turn it into arrogance and pride? Yes. But we all can. And we can't let the possible problem for them to dictate if we're going to love and serve them. Do you hear me? Does that make sense? They may take it wrong. They may turn it sinful, but that doesn't negate that I should love and move towards and serve them and encourage and build them up. This could also mean building loyalty to him and the children, meaning when you guys maybe fight about things or maybe you fight about decisions or you fight about discipline that you re remove yourself from your kids and go have a conversation away from them so they don't see you pitting against each other or you sow seeds of little divisiveness in them that they have to choose sides between mom or dad or they have to kind of help this person and, 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 and protect this person from this person. No, that, that you can do that so that there's this loyalty. Like, hey, we trust dad. We know that dad works this out with mom, and they're going to, if they do sin, they're going to reconcile. And if they have hard things that they're discussing, they're going to talk about it, work through it, and keep seeking the Lord, and keep seeking the Lord, and keep working on it. It's going to be showing confidence in his decisions. 
let me say one warning here. Husbands, uh, in the meaning of marriage, Tim Keller says that in his 40 years of marriage or, or whatever, that he's used the, the trump card, the submit card twice in his marriage on major life decisions where they were praying, seeking the Lord together, and they came at odds. And he said, I really think we have to do this. I really think this Lord is calling us to this. And she said, yes. But do you hear me? Two times over four decades, not daily, which turns into demanding and domineering and using. Because this is not rooted in culture or customs. This is rooted in creation in Christ. The example here for husbands is not the grandfathers and the fathers of the Roman patriarchy, patriarchy which would domineer, lord it over those in their household, in their life. And he's saying, Paul's saying, those aren't your examples. Those aren't your leaders. Jesus is our leader. Jesus shows us how to take glad responsibility for people and give our lives to that purpose. So wives, let me tell you, big picture with all of this is because Jesus is your true and better husband, you can submit and respect your husband. You can. And those questions of like, well, what if he fails me? What if, what if he's not loving me as he should? Or, a lot of those get answered when you're not trying to worship your husband as your functional Messiah, but rather worshiping Jesus as Messiah, and your husband can be your husband, not your God. And then the same thing with you, husbands. Maybe not the same thing. Maybe just to come at you as say a reminder. The God of your household is not you, but Jesus. And so any leadership that you provide should be shaped, formed, informed, led by the God-man Jesus Wives, you can serve, and you can help, and you can respect, and you can submit. And in all of that, you know what it is? It's a portrait that you're painting with your life and your marriage of Jesus' ferocious, unfailing, never-ending love for his bride, and it's bride's giving of his life, uh, uh, the bride giving life and heart and love to the groom. But this is what we get to paint in everyday scenarios, in frustrating conflict, in ebbs and flows, in different seasons, when emotions are high, when emotions are low, we get to display Jesus loves his bride. And he's going to cherish her forever. And she, in response, is going to cherish and follow and worship and adore and love him forever. And we get to expose that. We get to display that. We get to show that off. It's amazing. 
Father, I, I ask that you'd work this into our hearts, that you would graciously, warmly knead it into our souls. Even thinking about that word in everything, that, that, that wives would open their lives to their husbands and not carve off 20% that is excluded that we would have open, intimate marriages. Lovely, joyful, sanctifying marriages. Gospel portraying. Showing off this cosmic romance that you have for us, Lord, we thank you. We ask for help. We ask for guidance. We ask for conviction, for new habits, for new attitudes, for you to work in us, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.